Good morning. I love teachers, especially one particular teacher, my wife. I think back in, in high school and the teachers that influenced me, and uh, I think of one teacher, my Spanish teacher, Senorita Sanchez, and she, she was a, a super sweet, nice lady, and one of the things that I remember most was uh, that day she caught me te- cheating. You know, that I know you find this hard to believe, that I would, maybe you don't, uh, but uh, you know, every, every, almost every day you had to come in and you had to write out a dialogue, you had to memorize a dialogue, and you know, I would just already have it written down, and then you switch them, you know, you think, you pretend you're writing, and then you switch the dialogue, and it's perfect, and she caught me, and and you know what she did? She gave me a little scolding, but then she gave me a second chance. And so I just remember that. Uh, there was discipline involved, but there was a second chance. And uh, I think that's a great word for all of us. And that's a word we're going to hear today uh, from Jonah and from God. Would you open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3 if you're not there? Last week we had a great time with uh, our missionaries. Steve Weems spoke. Did a great job, but today we're back in Jonah. Now let's quickly review what we've seen so far. Jonah was given a mission by God. God sent him to preach to the city of Nineveh. But instead of embracing his mission, he ran. Why did he run? Chad told us a little bit about that. He ran because he knew that God was a merciful God. God was a God of second chances. The people of Nineveh were his enemies. They were the enemies of his people. And Jonah didn't want his enemies to receive mercy. He wanted his enemies to receive the judgment, the wrath of God. So he boarded a boat and headed for Tarshish in the opposite direction of Nineveh. But God, but God was not through with Jonah. God, if you remember, sent a storm And this storm not only revealed Jonah's sin, but in the process of revealing Jonah's sin, God revealed himself to a group of pagan sailors in order to stop the storm and save their lives. The sailors were commanded by Jonah himself to throw Jonah overboard. And in the final verse of chapter 1, we read, verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We then move to chapter 2 that recounts Jonah's prayer from within the great fish. Two weeks ago, Mark Easter did a great job in leading us through that prayer, through that chapter. As Jonah called out for deliverance, He came to terms with his own sin. He came to terms with the fact that God was in control. God couldn't be run from. And Jonah repented. Then we read in verse 10 of chapter 2, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So as chapter 3 begins, we find Jonah again on dry land. Now at this point, suppose God had come to Jonah, and he had said, okay, Jonah, I think you've learned your lesson. I I hope you have. Running from me is never a good idea. I want you to head home now, and I want you to think about what you've done. I want you to contemplate 
what's happened. I'm glad you've repented, but in reality, you're now no longer useful to me. Your rebellion has disqualified you in being a prophet for the Lord. You know, if God had said that or something like that, I don't think anyone, I don't think Jonah would have argued. But this is not the way God works. Instead of reading of the rejection of Jonah, we find God giving him a second chance. When I shared with Chad this week that the title of the sermon, title of today's message was The God of Second Chances, he immediately asked, have you seen the movie? What movie? Uh, the Jonah Veggie Tales movie. I said, oh, I'm sorry I missed that. You know, I'm busy watching Ben-Hur and Lord of the Rings and important films. I miss this masterpiece of Veggie Tales movie. He said there was a scene in there that I really needed to look at, that it really spoke about the God of second chances. And I want to share that with you today. I, I got a copy and I checked it out. I want you to try to get past the singing asparagus. The VeggieTales always kind of gave me the creeps. Toma- I have nightmares about tomatoes coming after me. But I think this clip provides us, I hope, with some, some energy, some motivation as we look at the God of second chances. Just to set the stage, Jonah, or asparagus Jonah... I think he's an asparagus. He's really tall. and Anyway, you, 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 make, you make the call. He's, he's in the belly of the fish still in this clip. He's lamenting. He's mourning over his situation. He knows he's run from God. And he knows he's getting what he deserves. And as far as he's concerned, in the belly of the, the great fish, his situation is hopeless. But then God sends a group of messengers to lift Jonah's spirits with the truth about who he is. So watch this clip. You're feeling pretty blue. You didn't do what God requested. Yeah. Get a smile from Mr. Grumpy Pants. Sorry, 
I hope you enjoyed that, and I hope that gets us motivated as we look at this, this God of Jonah's, Jonah's God and our God who, who gives us a second chance. We want to first look at, at Jonah's second chance in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 that Liam read for us. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. God came to Jonah a second time. He gave Jonah a second chance to accomplish his mission. Is this this normal? Is this what God normally does? Does God continue to pursue after those who've rejected the call he's given them on their lives? Those who first ignore his word. Those who disobey. Those who run from his presence. I have to say yes. This is what God does. If he didn't, none of us could serve him. At one time or another, we've all ignored his word. At one time or another, we've all disobeyed his commands and and went the wrong way. But God is faithful. God pursues and God gives second chances. We see this throughout scripture, a number of places. I'm just going to give you two examples besides Jonah. One from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we have the great leader, Moses. guy that delivered his people from Israel, brought the plagues, part of the Red Sea, gave the Ten Commandments. For the first few years of, of his life, Moses was raised by his Hebrew mother. And then at some point, he moved to live in the palace. He was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. We know that Moses, even in his early years, had some kind of inclination that God was going to use him to deliver his people, the Hebrews, from the bondage of Egypt. We see this come out when he murders the Egyptian because the Egyptian is beating a Hebrew. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen mentions that Moses killed the Egyptian because he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they didn't understand. This murder was Moses' way of bringing about the deliverance of God's people. Maybe if I do this, everybody will come behind me and I can lead this rebellion against Egypt. But because of Moses' sin, he had to flee to Egypt. The, The people didn't come up behind him and the Egyptians were after him. He had to live in the land of Midian as a shepherd for 40 years. 40 years. It's a long time. 
And if we didn't know the story, if we hadn't seen the movie, we might think that Moses had ruined his chances to deliver his people. He certainly thought he had. But when he was 80 years old, God appeared to him in a burning bush saying, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God appeared to Moses a second time. God called Moses a second time. God gave him a second chance and the rest is history. In the New Testament, we have the familiar example of the Apostle Peter. Peter became the leader of the early church. But his leadership was not always sure. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. He failed three times. That certainly could have been an end to his leadership career, to his ministry. But as we studied not too long ago in John chapter 21, Jesus, the Lord, came and he restored Peter to ministry. Remember, Jesus asked Peter three times, corresponding with his three denials, Simon, son of John, do you love me? When Peter answers on each occasion, you know that I love you, Jesus responds, feed my sheep. After Peter's failure, Jesus restored him to the ministry of caring, of leading the early church. The Lord came to Peter and gave him a second chance. The Lord came to Moses and gave him a second chance. The Lord came to Jonah and gives him a second chance. And if, and if we are true children of God, he'll give us a second chance. As a young believer, I ran, literally, well, figuratively, I guess, from the possibility of of God ever using me in ministry. I didn't know it, but I was like Jonah. I wasn't just running from ministry. I was running from the presence of the Lord. I remember telling my, my friends, my Christian friends at the time, if God ever wanted to use me in ministry, he'd have to come down and he'd have to grab me by the shoulders and shake me and yell in my ear, go. I had my life pretty planned out. I was, like most 18-year-olds, I had everything figured out. I would marry a nice Christian girl. I would go to church. I would read my Bible. I would pray. And and on occasion, I I would tell people about Jesus if the opportunity arose. But I would not, no, never not, be a missionary or a pastor. That's just crazy talk. I had my plan, and I wasn't really open to, uh, to other options. But you know, God, he, he had other ideas, apparently. He kept putting people in my life to challenge me. He wouldn't leave me alone, and, and at one point he played a really dirty trick on me. In the pursuit of my own plans, specifically the plan to marry a nice Christian girl, I went to a missions conference. I know running from God's call on your life and going to a missions conference doesn't seem that bright, but hey, I went because the girl was going. But at the conference, God brought out the big guns. Billy Graham spoke of giving your life completely to the Lord. No reservations, no holding back. Giving up your plans for his plans, and I I couldn't resist anymore. God came down, and he grabbed me, and he shook me, and he yelled, You have to do what I want you to do. And then Elizabeth Elliot spoke, spoke of the needs in the world. And I I committed that weekend, that week, excuse me, my life to go wherever God wanted me to go. You see, God could have left me to my own plans. I don't know where I'd be now, but I'm, I'm guessing 
not in a great place. He could have said, you reject any possibility of serving me in ministry? Okay, fine, I'll get someone else. But instead, he continued to pursue me. Instead, he continued to give me second chances. When we, like Moses, take matters into our own hands and and make our own plans, God is patient. God will give us a second chance. When we, like Peter, deny our Lord, when, when there are opportunities to speak and we remain silent, God is faithful. He'll give us a second chance. And when we, like Jonah, forsake the mission, the call he's given us, we rebel against God, we run from God, God doesn't reject us. He doesn't disown us. He certainly disciplines us. We have our own fish that come and swallow us up. He disciplines those he loves that we might repent and return to him. And when we repent, he returns a second time to restore us. He restores us to fellowship with him and he restores us to service. And yes, more than a a second time, this is more than a second chance. He comes a third and a fourth and a fifth and a hundredth and a thousandth time if necessary. And in our case, it often is. None of us would be where we are now in our Christian lives if God had not given us a second chance. If our disobedience and failure meant his rejection, then we would just be a bunch of rejects. If you are, if I am in relationship with God, if he's using you in any way to serve him, to serve his purposes, his kingdom, then rejoice. His grace and mercy has brought you to this place. His second chances. Moses, Peter, Jonah, and you and I do not deserve a second chance. Yet God is there time and time again offering to restore us to relationship with him, offering to restore us to ministry. Maybe you've identified with one of the people, with Jonah, with Moses, with Peter. Maybe you're running from God today. Maybe you've been running for a long time. Maybe you, you think that you've run so long, so far, that God could never take you back. He could never use you. He could never use you for his purposes, but, but that's not the case. And really, that's one of the main things I want to get across today. No matter where you are, God can restore you. God is the God of second chances. If you're here and you hear his word, he's calling you today. Return to him. He'll restore you to both fellowship. He'll restore you to ministry. And once we're restored... Once we've been given that second chance, our response must be, our response has to be exactly like Jonah's response. Yes, Jonah, finally, he does something right. Verse 3, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. According to the word of the Lord, now Nineveh was exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Finally, Jonah responds in obedience. Truly, this is the only right response to God's call on our lives, to God's word coming into our lives, to God calling us. Our response must be, has to be, can only be obedience. Did God say it? Then I must do it. There's no second guessing God. God is a God of second chances, but he will not be second guessed. There's no 
but Lord. It doesn't go together. And certainly there's no, no Lord. Those words can't go together. If you're saying, but Lord, no Lord, then he's not your Lord. You haven't submitted, surrendered to him. There can only be one response to God's word, God's call on your life. Repentance if you're running from it, and then obedience when you respond to it. And Jonah's obedience results in a second chance for Nineveh. That's our second and only two points today, Nineveh's second chance. Remember, Nineveh was a wicked, evil city. God said in chapter 1, verse 2, their evil has come up before me. It just rises up. Their wickedness is, is a problem for me. Nineveh was a violent, sexually perverse, idolatrous city. And Nineveh deserved the wrath and judgment of God. Make no mistake. But like so many cities and so many people, God gave them a second chance. And that chance comes through the prophet Jonah. When Jonah entered Nineveh, he began to proclaim God's message. Here it is. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Not the most impressive message I've ever heard. It's a, in the ESV Bible, it's only eight words. In the Hebrew, it's actually only five words. I would read it to you, but I know you guys don't read Hebrew. I don't either, so I won't. The words are simple, a simple prophecy of judgment. But they were God's words for the people of Nineveh. And as we'll see, God's word did not return void. Two weeks ago, Mark, uh, Mark Easter told the story of, of James Bartley, the man who, if you remember, the man who was swallowed by a whale and survived. Mark didn't mention the condition of the man when he exited the whale. He had been inside the stomach for 15 hours, and as a result, he lost all the hair on his body. His skin was bleached to an unnatural whiteness, and he was almost blind for the rest of his life. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us what Jonah looked like when he exited the fish and when he entered Nineveh, but I have my suspicions that the people of Nineveh could tell that Jonah had been through something. Jesus, speaking of his three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, said this about Jonah, For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Jonah brought a message, but he was also himself a sign to the people of Nineveh. It's possible that they had heard of his survival in the belly of the great fish. And this miraculous event served as a sign for the truth behind his message. We can almost picture Jonah as he entered Nineveh, whether he was, had any hair or not. And he began to cry out the message from God. What would his reception be? Would the Ninevites laugh at him? Would they kill him? Those were certainly possibilities. But, but as he cried out, people stopped. People listened. As he spoke the words of God, the silence, silence fell upon the people. And, and then sounds of weeping began to be heard. Jonah said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the wicked, evil, idolatrous people of Nineveh were touched. By the word of God. Jonah preached what God had given him to preach. And it was effective. It was not lengthy. It was not intellectual. It wasn't 
eloquent, but it did what it was supposed to do. It did all that mattered. It did all that was necessary was that Jonah speak God's message, God's word. We need to remember that. There's power in the word of God. God's word is not a, a suggestion that you might follow. It's not advice on how to best live your life. It's not a a shot in the arm you get on Sunday mornings to get you through the week. It's the word of the living God to be believed and acted upon. That's what happened in Nineveh. We read in verse 5, And the people of Nineveh believed God. Notice that the Ninevites didn't just hear Jonah's message. They did more than just believe in Jonah They did more than believing in his message. As soon as they heard, they responded by believing God. When we preach and teach the word of God, that should be our focus. Not that people would hear and believe us, not that they would even believe our message, but they would believe God, that they would turn to God. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The word is God's chosen method of causing belief in in himself. The Ninevites heard the word of God and they believed. And their belief led them to action. John chapter 3 verse 5 continues, They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. As the word continued, it reached every corner of Nineveh from the greatest to the least from the lowest peasant to the king himself. And we read in verses 6 through 8, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. But the decree of the king and his nobles, excuse me, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. The king heard the word, and he, like his subject, repents in sackcloth and ashes. And being the king, he then calls for his people to repent. The king of the of the, the people of the city believed the word of the Lord, and they acted on this belief. They proclaimed a fast, and this fasting was a a demonstration of of mourning. They put on sackcloth, and at least the king, the text says, sat in ashes. Sackcloth was was most often made of coarse goat hair. The material was commonly used for sacks, thus called sackcloth. But it was also worn by mourners, or as a sign of deep repentance, a sign of humility, Ashes were often included as a, as a further symbol, symbol of, of personal pain and, and shame and sorrow. Do you get the picture? What's going on here? In their repentance, they're, they're coming face to face with their sin. So when you sin, when, when I sin, do, does our repentance involve mourning and sorrow? Do you come to the Lord in, in tears? Do you understand that the the pain that that your sin causes, both in your own life and in the heart of God, do you take sin seriously? 
I'll never forget the picture that came to my mind one time, one of the many times that I was confessing my continual sin. Picture returns to me often. I saw Christ hanging on the cross. I, I knew that my sin had put him there. And then I saw myself. And I was spitting in, in his face. I understood that, that each time I, I sinned, I was, I was spitting in the face of my Lord. The one that gave his life for me. Needless to say, the tears of sorrow and pain began to flow. I understood in a new way, the pain that my sin causes God. And I would encourage you, as I encourage myself, to examine our hearts, to understand that repentance involves more than just saying words. We have to say the words. We have to pray. We have to ask God. We have to say, Father, I've sinned. Because of Jesus, would you please forgive me? But true repentance involves taking stock in the damage that your sin has done and allowing that to sink in. To mourn over your sin. Have you mourned over your sin? Do you mourn over your sin? The mourning and sorrow, even though they're important, and I think if they're real, they will lead to the next step. It's the important step. The Ninevites not only demonstrated their sorrow for sin, but they turned from their sin. In verse 8, we read, let everyone turn from their evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. They had an issue with violence. They specifically called out the violence of the city. Mourning, sorrow, prayers of forgiveness are in fact meaningless unless there's a turning. In fact, they're less than meaningless. They're, They're hypocritical. They're spitting in the face of Christ. Whether sexual sin, pride, selfishness, lack of love for your Christian brothers and sisters, laziness, materialism, whatever it is, we must not just say words of repentance. We can't just say, I repent of my sins. We must not just cry over our sins. Oh, that's key. We have to turn from our sins. We must call on the Lord to fill us with the power of His Spirit that we might return might not return to those sins. The people of Nineveh, including the king, repented of their sins. We see just a a four-step process. Maybe jot this down if you're taking notes. They heard the word. They believed the word. They demonstrated sorrow for their sin. And they turned from their sin. They heard the word. Believed the word. They demonstrated sorrow They felt sorrow for their sins. They mourned over their sins. And then they turned. They turned from their sins. That's really what repentance is. But it's not, repentance isn't even just not doing them. Repentance is a change of mind. And that only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. God has to be interworking throughout this whole process. It's not something you can work yourself up to. It has to begin by calling on God's power to work in and through you. So the the people of Nineveh repented. Why? Why did they repent? The king answers the question in verse 9. He says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Maybe God will turn. There is hope. 
Apparently the king knew something of, of this God. They knew something that he, he was a God of mercy, a God of second chances. And when there is mercy, there's always hope. We need to learn a lesson from this wicked, evil king of Nineveh. No matter how far we fall, no matter how sinful we've been, no matter what we've done, there's always hope. Not because of our great potential. It's not that God looks inside of us and says, oh, there's hope because he's so cool. Not because there's something in us worthy of hope. There isn't. We can have hope because God is a God of mercy. God is a God of second chances. And the king's hopes were not in vain. In verse 10, we read the, the high point of the entire story. This is the high point. This is, the, in some ways, the climax. Then God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God relented of the disaster. Some people have a problem with God relenting or not doing something he apparently said he would do. There are many things we could say about this. There's lists of books that talk about this, including the the limitations on human language in in describing the actions of an infinite, all-powerful God. For those who were at the secret church last Friday, it was really good. Let me just side note here. How many were there at the secret church on Friday? As a pastor, as I listened to that, and as people that are in the congregation, I was going, this is awesome. This is awesome. Everybody needs to know the things he was talking about, how to study the Bible. If you, if you, ha- if you weren't able to make it, uh, I think it's possible to get the DVD and listen to it at some point, Jeff. Is that true? I would just encourage you to do that. But anyway, side note. For those that were there, they, if they were awake at this point, they heard David Platt speak of something called an anthropomorphism. An anthropomorphism. Explaining something about God by using human, human qualities. Maybe that's what this is. I would also point out that both Jonah and the king of Nineveh saw God relenting as a possibility. This is, in fact, why Jonah ran and why the king repented. Because God relents. If, if there was no possibility of relenting, then Jonah would have been happy to go deliver the message in the first place. And the king would have said, well, eat, drink, and be merry, for in 40 days we die. But because God is a God of relenting, and we should thank God for this, because in the same way that Nineveh, get this, in the same way that Nineveh was under the judgment of God, we, each one of us, were born under the judgment of God. It's only when we believe and repent that God relents and we're saved and we're restored to relationship with him. God's relenting is a product of his mercy. If God did not relent, then God would not be a God of second chances. And if God is not a God of second chances, then the people of Nineveh and the people of Riverside are without hope. But praise the Lord, God is a God of second chances and fourth chances and tenth chances and thousandth chances, if that's a word. And no matter where you are in your relationship with him, whether, whether you need to come to him for the first time, because he'll receive you, he'll give you that second chance, or the thousandth time, he's waiting for you to repent, to turn from your sin and come to him, that he might relent and extend 
his love and grace and mercy to you. It's not, get this picture, it's not God begrudgingly extending his love, grace, and it's God waiting and wanting to extend that love and grace and mercy to you. You just have to come to him. One final word this morning. One of the main ways God extends his love, his grace, and mercy is through his people, his church, his body. We are children of God, and we're therefore part of the family of God. And we're called to show the love and grace and mercy of God to one another. In short, we're called to be people of second chances. So today, if you, if you need prayer, if you need encouragement, if you need counsel, if you need help, in this idea of repentance, okay, I've, I know I need to repent. I, I've heard this message and I was, was partially paying attention. I sort of got it, but, but I need help. I would encourage you to come, come to me. Come to one of our elders. Come to another member of the body of Christ here at Bridges. Share your burdens and receive God's grace. We as a family together can repent together, can pray for one another. We can bear one another's burdens preview of Galatians, bearing one another's burdens, and beyond today. So if you need that today, come and receive it. And beyond today, I would encourage each and every person here, I don't care who you are, here's my extra words. I I just said join back there when uh, Jeff asked me if there was any. Here's my extra words for our small groups. This This is a place where you come and you are in relationship with people of second chances and you're learning about the God of of second chances and you're growing together and you're learning his word and you're praying for one another. You're hearing of one another's struggles. You're lifting one another up and if you're not doing that in some way, then you're missing out. It's these groups that we're able to both give and receive God's love, grace, and mercy. I'm not saying these are the only places that you can do that, by the way. I'm not saying our groups are special. I'm saying our groups are offered for this, and if you're not getting it anywhere else, this is a great place. So I would encourage you today to to sign up for one of our small groups, and not just because we're doing Galatians, and not just because we're doing it together, but because you need to be involved with the body of Christ, with the people here. So I would just end with that, and just encourage us today, and this week, to, to repent of the sin that's in our life, and to continue to seek after God, the God of second chances. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for this this day and this word. Thank you that uh, you're a God of hope. Lord, we make mistakes, we fail, we sin, we say the wrong thing, we do the wrong thing, and if If you were not a God of second chances, a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of forgiveness, then we would be done. But we're not because of who you are. And Lord, we rejoice and we thank you for that. Lord, I ask for myself and I ask for each person here that that if there is sin in our life, if we're, we're holding on to something, Father, and it's destroying our relationship with you, it's causing us to run from you. Lord, I pray that this morning you would you would work through the power of your Holy Spirit. You'd come into lives and you would convict of sin and you would cause a desire to return to you, to repent, to to sorrow and mourn over our sin and to turn from it and to turn to you.